Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is the Brucklery Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. All right. Uh, it is time to talk about the state of our nation vis-a-vis presidential politics and the mood of the country. And I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, this notion of evangelism versus anything else uh, versus, you know, progressivism and so on like this. And, and, I, and we're looking now... You know, good for today, we're looking just past the Iowa caucuses. And it's not about the Iowa caucuses. I'm simply going to talk about the Iowa caucuses as an example supporting my theory of the politics that, that's going on today. Now, what do I mean by this? In, in both the Republican and the uh, Democratic camps, you see this very bizarre thing starting to happen where... Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side, you know, the socialist, he's, he's really hot to trot, and he's gaining a lot of traction against Hillary Clinton. That in and of itself is incredible news, and not just in the context of Hillary Clinton. It's news in the sense that the country actually accepts him as a viable candidate. That's what is, to my mind, very disturbing, uh, and news in the sense that it's truly new, uh, that a socialist could gain this much traction. And then when we look at the Republican side, of course, we look at the, 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 how there is such a galvanizing of an anti-establishment movement going on and how Jeb Bush is being pushed down. You know, this is, this is the man uh, with $100 million in his pocket at the time that he started his campaign. And now Jeb uh, he could not even break, what, 3%. In any national poll, I think four percent to be generous to him, but three uh, or two percent in Iowa. Yeah, in right. actual election. In actual election, right? And but and let's give him a four percent at some point. It doesn't matter. The the point is that even I, by the way, I think that extra percent is is because a little exclamation mark after Jeb. You know, that's <laughs> good point. Yeah, you pay for that and you get an extra point in your percentages. Anyway, uh, so so what's going on here? I had a. Um, uh, a, a discussion with a good friend, a, a liberal friend of mine, who was talking about how the Iowa caucuses, well, Barack, don't be so impressed with what you're seeing because J- Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucuses. And, uh, b- but he said, you know, don't forget, 
Santorum won um, in, in 2008. Uh, 2012, right? And uh, Huckabee won in 2008, and neither of them went on to the presidency, not even reasonably close to the presidency. And so don't be too impressed, okay? Yeah, Cruz will go down that graveyard just the same way. So good luck to you, Mr. Cruz, is, it was his tone. Well, first of all, don't forget that Romney actually more or less tied in Iowa, and he, of course, did become the nominee at the time. Um, but nevertheless, the fact is that uh, the Cruz won. Okay. Now, why, why do I say it's different? Okay. Because, first of all, two times does not a pattern make. Okay. So you, you look at 2008, 2012, it doesn't mean that everyone who wins Iowa is therefore going to lose the nomination. That's just, it's just silly thinking like that. Now, if you did it 100 times, <clears throat> and, uh, then, then you might talk uh, some statistics here, right? And that everyone who wins the Iowa nomination, it's a death knell for your... Uh, uh, the Iowa caucuses is somehow going to lose the, the nomination. That, that's not a victory you want then, right? Obviously. Yeah, every campaign would then just avoid Iowa altogether. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Say it's, it's cancer. There you go. It's electoral cancer. Let's but, avoid but, it. But everyone knows better. I mean, uh, yeah, under that theory, then, you know, this, this friend of mine... Um, that he has, everyone would shy away from it if two, if two times makes a pattern. So it's a, it's a silly argument. Okay. The second thing is that if it were, okay, and, and his reasoning was, the reason why Santorum won and then Huckabee won is because it was the evangelical vote. Okay. And Iowa is full of evangelicals, don't you know? And therefore don't, you know, it, it gives you a warped perspective of what the ultimate nomination is going to be. I understand his argument. That may have been true for 2008, maybe even for 2012, but it ain't true for 2016. And I don't think it's going to be true for a long time. And here's why. If it were indeed the evangelical vote, then you would expect that the true evangelicals who are, who are the nominees, such as Huckabee, such as Santorum, who are still running, uh, and uh, even Rubio to some extent, you would expect them to be the top players. But no. Who are the two top players? Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz being the winner, of course, at the end of the day. Now, it's not because he's, a, he's an evangelical, Ted Cruz. Yes, he believes in God. Yes, he's a very strong Christian. But the, the first thing you think about him is not an evangelical like you do with Mike Huckabee. So, and Mike Huckabee, I think he was at 1% or 2% at best. So why? Why is this happening? Right? And then likewise, if it were the evangelical vote, you would expect that, um, that a man named Bernie Sanders would not have done as well as he did. Bernie Sanders is a friggin' atheist, right? A Jewish atheist at that, okay? And a socialist. So you would think that these, these crazy evangelicals, and I put crazy in quotes, um, would resoundly denounce and destroy Bernie Sanders. But no. They elevated him to extraordinary status. I mean, he, he basically tied uh, Hillary Clinton, an extraordinary feat. And, and this at a time when they thought that there was no chance in hell that he could, he could break it 7 or 8%. I mean, he's 50%. So you can't, you can't jive those two facts together. Okay? On, that on one hand, it's Iowa somehow wildly evangelical, and the other hand, it's wildly atheist. I, I don't get that. Okay? It doesn't, doesn't work. So what explains what's going on in the country? I, and I'm talking about Iowa simply as a mirror to um, what's happening in the country. I don't want to talk about Iowa caucuses just in and of itself. I see it as a reflection of what's happening and what you and I, Ari, have been talking about for a long time.
The anti-establishment movement is very powerful, and that explains everything that you're seeing in Iowa, and for that matter, the polls, generally speaking, in this election. I don't know if, if, if the, the Jeb Bushes um, and the, uh, the Kasiches are realizing what's going on, but their time is done. There's a revolution going on, and, and I, to my mind, a good revolution, one where the status quo of uh, establishment uh, and then politics and, and just making deals with, with uh, Obamacare and other socialist-oriented uh, structures is somehow acceptable. That, that is no longer acceptable. We realize that there is a, a galvanizing movement, and, and that's a movement back toward the Constitution, back to the, the glory days of America, and to some extent the glory days of Ronald Reagan. And people don't get that. There's a reason why the Tea Party formed. People forget that too, right? I mean, the Tea Party started about six months after Obama became president. About two months after. Oh, is that, that right? February okay. February 2009. It was pretty quick. Um, and they realized something. They just had to do something. And it gained traction and it grew and grew and grew to the point that more and more congressmen and congresswomen became, uh, t- took over from the Tea Party uh, as Republicans, of course, but nevertheless, they were Tea Party Republicans. And it's as, it's as if people forget all this history that's happened in the past, you know, seven plus years. There is a movement happening, my friends. And that's been happening. And it's that been happening. That culminated yeah. last night. And, and it cum- it, last night was merely a reflection of that movement that is so clear. And, and then the question is, why? Why is it happening? I'll tell you why. Because people are really sick of the Obama administration. They see what he's been doing, and they are frightened. They see America waning. They see America giving up all of its power. And they are frankly frightened about the, Islam, the rise of Islamism and, to a lesser extent, the rise of Russia and China. Okay? And there's a, a tremendous fear about that, and they want protection, and they want to rise the economy, and they know the answers. They know the answer is when America is strong, good things happen, to the, not just to America, but to everywhere in the world. And it's clear as day for them. Okay? And the same is true even on the Democratic side. They just don't realize that's what's happening. That's what explains it. Even Bernie Sanders, when he goes on a stump speech, I think at his, you know, either victory speech or concession speech, however you want to call it, but he was enthralled and very excited about his turnout yesterday in the Iowa caucuses. Very excited. And what did he say? He said, it's, it's time to change the old ways of Washington. Okay, so he's appealing to the anti-establishment too. But he doesn't realize that he's appealing to the establishment that he's talking about is Obama. It's his own party that's destroying this country. So he's fighting his own party, whether he realizes it or not. And so there's this wave going on of anti-establishment and something has to be done. We think it's got to be done in the direction of the Constitution. They think it has to be done in the way of, of socialism. Of tearing down the Constitution. Of tearing down the Constitution. But, but we all agree something right. has to be done. Right. Something radical. So it's a reflection of even, if people talk about the polarizing of America, this is a true reflection of the polarizing of America. That you, you, I think, I think that there's something very lacking in you and in your intellect if you embrace socialism. I think you just to not understand its destructive abilities and its destructive past, shame on you. 
Forget destructive, murderous. It's murderous. That's exactly right. Um, and on the other hand, uh, you know, if you do embrace the Constitution and you understand it, you, you're beginning to em- embrace the history and, and to ask the question, what works? And to, to finally wake up. In, in a way, it reminds me a little bit, Ari, of what happened in the early 70s with the Roe v. Wade. Remember? Uh, I mean, I, I was only 10 years old at the time when it came out, but I, I heard about it and I, I understood that it was a big decision. I, of course, I didn't have my own historical context. I wouldn't know what the world was like. I didn't even know what abortion was. But the point is, now looking back historically, I know that it galvanized the anti-abortion movement. Before Roe v. Wade, you know, people were just fine to, you know, not get involved. And there were this or that restriction or uh, encouragement of abortion. But nevertheless, it wasn't the law of the land. But when the federal government took it over and said, you must uh, allow people to have abortions, uh, that's when people said, that dog don't hunt. And they proceeded to really rally. The, the grassroots movement really took off at that point, and not just in the abortion realm, but in other conservative realms as well. And it was one of the things that led directly to the election of Ronald Reagan. That's right. It was, and that was only seven years later. Yeah, and that's what people don't get. We talk so often about static thinking, year zero thinking, uh, connecting the dots of history. And people forget, they lose perspective how short five years or seven years or ten years That's is. Right. <clears throat> it's a flash in, in real perspective. And so people don't see, they forget cause and effect yep. over a seven-year period. Well, That's really, right. it was so quick. It was really quick. And people, and the, the madness that ensues, I think there's so much, you know, if you thought that the anti-abortion movement reflected anger, there is so much more anger going on right now. Um, not only among the conservatives, seeing how this country is being diluted and diluted in, in a sense of power, of course, the, the, the you know the army and everything. It's, it's dismantled, and and how unashamedly so that that is happening, and from a president who is not only tone deaf but simply blind to the realities around him, and that's putting it very uh, charitably to him, shall we say? Um, that's putting aside any bad intentions whatsoever, and we have issues with that anyway, right? Yeah, and a party that refuses to provide any legitimate opposition to right. this dismantle. Imagine a president and an administration, and for that matter, party, like you said, that thinks and really believes that so long as you say it, it is so, right? So long as you say, for example, that ISIS is doing really well, uh, sorry, the fight against ISIS is going just swimmingly well, and then people must believe it. So long as you say that the, the, the Benghazi riot uh, happened because of a video, well, then people will believe it. Or Iran is a tiny country, or Russia <laughs> right. has no, no real threat. security threat yeah. to us. So these are the things that they say, and then they expect us to believe. And it, it angers people like you and me, and I think it angers everybody who knows better, who can see it plainly, to say, don't, what's the expression? Don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining, right? It's a famous expression we say in law sometimes. And that's what exactly what the Obama administration does. It, it pees on your leg and says and tells you that it's raining. It ain't raining. You're 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 peeing on us. You're 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 treating us like dirt. Yeah, global warming does not make rain that warm. Right, right. But but this is what is causing all this anger. And you said it about you know the five to seven year stretch between um, Roe v. Wade versus uh, until the the timing of uh, Ronald Reagan's presidency, you know, that's a seven-year stretch. And we've had that seven-year-plus stretch right now, and Obama doesn't realize how much anger there is. 
And it's legitimate anger. This, yeah. this is not anger rooted in racism or paranoia of, of any of the uh, homophobia, Islamophobia, phobias that the left likes. So this is legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Iowa and, is and a ref- it's why God invented anger for I- people <laughs> when they experience things like this to react this way. Iowa's reflection of this anger. Because look, look at it carefully. Um, Rubio did very well. Cruz did very well. Trump did worse than was expected. But even so, even Trump is a reflection of the anger. Maybe it's, to to my mind, a misguided um, uh, reflection of it. But nevertheless, Trump reflects the anger. He says he's not going to be PC. He thinks this president is terrible. Um, You know, build the wall, uh, fight ISIS and all that. You know, things that we like to hear. But he's tapping right into that anger. And all three of the top-tier guys, uh, I think, correctly reflect the anger. Uh, I prefer Ted Cruz. I know you do, too. But nevertheless, look at at the inside baseball of that. And and I'm so glad you mentioned that point, because if you just split the numbers a little bit, if you look at the Democrat side, there is far less anti-establishment fervor than on the Republican side, but it's still sizable, 50-50. Yeah. 50% went against the establishment candidate. In the aggregate of the Republican candidates, and the Republican Party is viewed stereotypically as an establishment party, 80% of the voters <coughs> voted for non-establishment solutions. Rubio is being labeled as the establishment darling, but he really isn't. He's not. He's, he's no. not what I like, but... His 23%, Trump's 24%, Cruz's 28%, and Carson's 10% equal almost 80% of the vote went against Jeb Bush, John Kasich, and Chris Christie. Shocking. It's, it really is. Shocking. Yeah. There's, there's no other explanation. And it's not like the— There's no other explanation right. for what we're seeing than that there's serious anger going on, okay, and they can't wait to get it out. And I, I think that you'll see, state after state, a reflection of that anger, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. I'm, I'm kind of ex- actually excited about it in the future because I think it's like finally you get to, it's like, it's like when, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm a tri- I, I, I've had trials before in front of juries. Um, and all you can do is develop the evidence, present your case, and you just wonder what the heck is the jury thinking. They're not telling you. But, but they're thinking something. It's in their head. And then you rest your case. They rest their case. It goes to the jury. And then the jury reveals what they believe. In count after count, right? Count after count. Yeah. And, and sometimes the states <clears throat> Right. And sometimes they give punitive damages. And then you talk to them after. And you say, what were you thinking? And they, they say, we were angry. We really hated you know, the defendant, or we really hated the plaintiff, as the case may be. We, or we wanted to give the plaintiff as much money as, as she wanted. Oh, it, it, it's really incredible. It all comes out. And we don't, you know, we're just waiting for that glorious moment when people are talking. And the Iowa voters have voted as they will. New Hampshire will vote very aggressively as well. Yeah, next week. Yeah, and, and I got good feelings for Cruz on that one, too. And I think that uh, Hillary should really be very afraid for New Hampshire. It's going to be very interesting. Um, but but so is South Carolina, right? So all these states, one after the other, are going to have their moment in the sun and to really reflect their anger. Now, let's talk about Iowa for a second, just to, to underscore the point, again, not to talk about Iowa in and of itself, but to talk about how it reflects the anger 
Okay, because this, this is supposed to be a timeless podcast, and we are talking about, in much the same way we talk about uh, predictions uh, for the future and such based upon existing things, I always reflection of a, uh, a pattern that's going on, a trend that's going on in America, reflecting a true desire for change. And not the kind of hopey changey that Obama presented, but a real change back to America's core roots to say we need to decide who we are. That's what it is. And here's another form of that proof. Iowa turned out in such record numbers, such such bizarrely high numbers. What was the total tally? It was 180? It was something off the charts, approaching 200,000, relatively yeah, two, speaking, in a blizzard. Yeah, it, it was it was really quite bad. And uh, to, to not appreciate that fact, uh, to not take some meaning to that fact, is really extraordinary. Yeah, the voters followed the post <clears throat> office credo. Right. No, no rain, nor snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So right. they, they, and they're not being paid. There's no, there's no pension on the line for them. Yeah, and they, they did it anyway. They fought the weather, and this was no slight bump up, you know, reflecting the increase in the population, for example. There's something going on here, and, and they wanted to reflect their anger. That's the only way you can explain this thing. It's not because the more religiously fervent, you know, evangelically, or that they're, they're more atheists out there because they vote for Sanders. Nothing of the sort. Or because, you know, they really want to vote for Hillary Clinton because she doesn't have a penis. It's nothing of the sort. Okay? That's yeah, pure rational thought. Would you <clears throat> down. And I want to add and one then they, they want to get out their anger. That's what's going right, on. But it's rational anger. Yes, it's it well is. thought out. It's not irrational right. anger. It's not an explosion <clears throat> of emotion outside, you know, in some vacuum. I want to add one more point about this because I found this statistic fascinating. And this bodes very well for whoever the Republican nominee is down the line. From 2008, because there was, it was a non-competitive primary in 2012 with Obama and the incumbency, but in 2008 to 2016, the Iowa Democrat turnout was down 25%. What that meant is these two leftist candidates, one viewed as a lying criminal, the other viewed as a, a commissar from the Soviet Union, were both completely unappealing to one quarter of the regular turning out Democrat voters who obviously will vote That's for the right. Republican alternative in November. All right. So, so look, your point is well taken. Um, the, the galvanizing moment, it, it, people really want to express themselves. This is what it's all about. They need to say, I'm sick of this and I'm coming out. And I, I think you'll find a lot of people with an opinion uh, and that they can no longer play the games uh, that somehow the unemployment rate is just great, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're doing just wonderfully, or that the economy is doing, it's, it's all a false, uh, you know, rubric. They, they all, again, pee on your leg and tell you that it's raining. Yeah, just because you don't have any money doesn't mean the economy isn't booming. Exactly right. But it's, it, after a while, you start asking, nobody I know has a job, or at least a decent job, and, and then you're somehow telling me that I should be happy about this. On the contrary, I should be even more angry about this. Maybe that's the reason why they're going to socialism, because so many of them are out of, out of work, and they're being told that somehow they're, 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 the economy is doing great. Well, no wonder they feel like an outsider, if that's the case. Right. To those Democrats who vote <clears throat> Sanders, if you just think about their mentality, they were promised utopia yeah. by Obama. They've that's had right. eight years of their savior. 
Right. Their version of Jesus H. Christ as himself being their president. All right. So and, he, and yeah. they see utter failure, and their reaction is the classic socialist meme, which is, "Well, it wasn't tried well enough. Let's try it." For I real. love it. Yeah, in a way, I, yeah, that's I, I the love reaction. It. All right. So let's let's move on to another topic, but within this topic. Okay. Let, let's you know you hear about the the notion of independent uh, runs, whether it's from Bloomberg, from Trump, from even Bernie Sanders itself. There are many permutations that can happen um, in, in this election. And it could be true for any election in the year 2020 and so on. But uh, one thing that, that will not be different is this, this anger that has, has developed. And that the anger that's developed, you've got to respect it. Now, um, so if, if anybody who wants to run as an independent, the only way they can gain any serious traction is that they truly say, we have gone the wrong way. Liberalism doesn't work. We have to go back to our core roots. Then they might have a real chance. I don't know that Bloomberg could do it. I don't know that Trump can even do it. I don't. And I certainly know that Bernie Sanders cannot do it. Um, but it doesn't matter who it is, who, who the, the name of the independent is. They have to be able to tap into what is so obvious right now to you and me that people are saying it's not. It's not good enough to say the system is broke. I guess this is the the ultimate message of this part of the podcast. It's not about the system being broke. It's about people saying, you've steered us the wrong way. You are taking us away from what we know works. We, we, we're not experimenting here. We know it works. We know that free market, God-based capitalism works. And you, Mr. Obama, you've taken us away from that. Yeah, and freedom and liberty. How often now has, has <clears throat> Obama ever said freedom and liberty in the last nine years? I don't remember him saying it once. Most Republicans don't even say freedom and liberty. Yeah. That's, I think, why we're, we're a cruise mm-hmm. supporters, because he at least says those two words. Yeah, and, and Rubio's been pretty good about it, too. I mean, I must say he's, he's, he's been very elegant, and maybe that's the reason why he's getting a lot of traction as well, as he should. I, you know, there's got to be a, somebody who's second and third place who's yeah, doing pretty well. Yeah, those are the two choices. Well, we're having a, a wealth of Riches here. You no, know, I, I think it's great. I think it's very good. And, you know, Dennis Prager talks about this, and I think, boy, he's so right on this one. Uh, he's right on so many issues, but this one I really think he's got it going. He needs to be on the attack. Uh, sorry, any candidate, Republican att- uh, candidate, needs to be on the attack on liberalism itself. Okay? You know, I think George H.W. Bush did a good job in his, ele- his first election in 1988. Against Dukakis. Dukakis. And that's exactly what he did. He accused him of being the L word, right? Remember that? Liberal. That guy is a liberal, he said. And it worked very effectively. And we need to do the same thing now. Not just exactly in the same tone, but talk about the dangers of liberalism. Look at how liberalism has failed you. Okay? Look how look at every city that, that is maintained and governed by liberals for decades, not just for four or five years, for decades, has failed without exception, right? This is what they need to, to be saying. And the, the candidate who says that effectively is going to be the candidate who wins. Yeah, see a slum, Democrats behind it. Right. See dirty <clears throat> water in Flint, Democrats behind it. Exactly see right. dirty air, Democrats are behind it. See yeah. the high crime, Democrats. See the yeah. sales of baby parts, Democrats, Democrats, yeah. Democrats. Yeah. It's, it's, a shocking, um, it's a shocking situation, but also... Something that galvanizes me, I, I, I know here's the answer. You know, I, I just just do what we used to do, right? I mean, it, if I mean, there's an expression, if it ain't fixed, 
don't if it don't ain't broke, if it ain't broke don't, don't fix it right yeah or you know why don't we just go to those things that we know that work you know I, okay look a broken family doesn't work oh okay how about if we have a regular family then right. maybe that will work oh yes it does work that's right uh, you know um, price controls uh, don't work oh okay well then let's let the free market decide I mean it this is not hard to figure out what works. Yeah, don't like $3 gas? Drop the taxes on it. Let's make it cost $3. If you don't like all those homeless people, maybe the Democrats should stop running Los Angeles, which has turned into a homeless camp. That's right. And there's there's too many things we can say. Right. It's been but, all over the place. So, so, so we all have, I think that's part of this anger is this sense of, like, it's not that, I think a lot of people know what works, whatever. They tried it. They, they tried the other thing that they wanted to present that clearly did not work. And they just said, look, I just want to go back to the, to the old way. Okay, whatever it is. It's kind of like leaving a, <clears throat> a hotel room that, that you, you want. And you thought, okay, there might be a better hotel room, uh, you know, somewhere down another hall or maybe across the street from that matter. And you go over there and you realize it's pretty crappy. And what you had was pretty damn good, okay? You got a good night's sleep. <laughs> it... Uh, you know, it had a decent view and such. Yeah, it wasn't sure. a smoking room. <clears throat> it wasn't a smoking room. You know, it didn't it didn't necessarily have massages and everything else like that. But you know what? It got the job done. All right. And now you you regret it. You say, okay, I want to go back to the old room. And then the the guy says, I'm sorry, we're full. You know, you can you can take this analogy the way any way you want. But at the end of the day, conservatism works, and we we I think there's a there's a mood in the country that's that's saying the following. We miss you. Right, we we want we want it back, and we like those glory days. We it's not just the glory days because it's a harking back to an old day. We like to be strong. We know what it's like to be strong. We we it, we know what prosperity means. We we know what happiness means, and it's all with God to some extent. And it's about letting people leaving people alone and letting them to do their own thing, and we like it. And you know what? It really worked. How about we go back to that again? And that's what's happening in this wonderful new trend and that we're seeing in, uh, throughout the country. It's, it's all showing up. And Iowa is the first mirror to what's going on. This is Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. Don't go away. We'll be right back. here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah, Dennis, and very quickly my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business. All right, how did you resolve that one? It turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale because we knew the landlord would 
not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes you have to know how to time your luck. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. back from the break. Thanks for so much for tuning back in. All right, so the latest and greatest <clears throat> from the Obama administration, uh, and this is, again, more of a worldview about, about things and the way the Obama administration conducts itself. Uh, as you may or may not know, there's always been a question about the affinity that Obama has toward Islam. Let's put it that way. Again, we always talked about how we don't care whether or not he's actually a Muslim, as if that's somehow an issue. It's not. We don't. We never cared about that. <clears throat> uh, we 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 don't even want to address the cartoonish characterization that somehow it's all about whether or not you're a Muslim. That's not what it's about. The issue is whether or not you have an affinity toward Islam, to the detriment of Christianity, and to the detriment of Western values. More importantly, and and we we've, we've talked about this. We had a podcast about this in the past before, and we we express our concern. And one of the, you know, among the many other things that we've talked about is Obama's treatment toward, uh, treatment of Israel, the way he shows blatant contempt for Bibi Netanyahu, who is a democratic leader. You don't have to like him. You may decide that he's too conservative, but by golly, he should be a hell of a lot better than all the dictators uh, in the Middle East, whether they're from Saudi Arabia, from Jordan, or otherwise. Okay? So you, you, you should at least like conservatives better than you like dictators. Okay? As much as you still think that liberalism is better for, for the world somehow. So that's one thing. And then we have other issues uh, about how he conducts the, the war against ISIS, for example. There are issues about that. Uh, how he engaged in a treaty with Iran, which is, of course, so devastating to the, to the whole world, uh, and not just America and Israel. Um, and just questionable Many other questionable things, the way he supported um, the Muslim Brotherhood against the Morsi government, uh, the way he genuflected and bowed to the Saudi prince, the way uh, he apologized to the Muslim world, uh, even the most recent State of the Union address where he talked about how the whole issue is about how there's anti-Islamism going on, never once talking about the, the perils of radical Islamic extremism doing some horrific things. Okay, so it's all about... Muslims as victims, not as perpetrators, at least the, the radicals among them. Okay, so, and, and what he intends to do about that. And then you talk about his history in Indonesia and all these other things that lead it all up together and tied it in a nice bow. And you say, gosh, you know, that, that really concerns me. Um, again, not whether he's a Muslim or not, it doesn't matter. It's just like he seems to just direct all his energy in favor of Islam. And the latest, the latest is that he decides the first time in his presidency and perhaps in any presidency to actually visit a congregation uh, of, of Muslims in a mosque, okay? And we are then to find out very quickly that they are, uh, 
of this particular mosque in Baltimore, as it turns out, is tied to care, is tied to uh, many radical groups, um, as well as the Muslim Brotherhood. Islamic states of North America and, uh, uh, you know, ISNA and uh, Muslim mm -hmm. Brotherhood and the OIC, which is the Organization of Islamic Conference, all of which have direct ties to the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda. <clears throat> right. So... And you, you wonder about their hate speech that they may be evoking in these in these mosques. Does you know? I, I doubt that there are, are tapes going on, but you know what? There may be very well some tapes going on after the Obama's visit <clears throat> um, from people who later want to see what this mosque is all, all about. And what is he going to say then? I mean, it's exactly the same thing as Reverend Wright, remember? But maybe in reverse. Now that he's president, so. Uh, they were about to have him as president and during the election, and then they looked into the past archives of Reverend Wright to see all this fiery rhetoric and how evil he is and what a bad guy and how he has contempt for America. And they turned, I think, correctly to Obama and said, this man has been spewing hate for 20 years all the time that you've been there. How, how can you tell me that you don't ascribe to the same beliefs? I mean, if, it's one thing to just kind of be in passing in the same room one time uh, it's another thing to actually be there for 20 years and get married by that guy and, and uh, have a baby naming, I think, uh, or some sort of uh, christening uh, of the girls uh, by this, this radical nutcase named Reverend Wright. Well, now we're having the same thing, right? He's going to a mosque and it has strange ties to these radical Muslim groups. And I bet you somebody's going to start going to, these, to the mosque after Obama gives his speech and, uh, and hear what they have to say. And it, it, it's very easy to record somebody, right? It's just you, you put in your iPhone and you're, you set record and nobody knows, nobody's the wiser and all of a sudden you have all this fiery rhetoric and such. And then they'll turn to Obama and say, do you subscribe to this? Do you support this? And what is he gonna say? They got radical after I left, <laughs> right? I mean, of course not, I mean, you can't say that. He, but, but he would be saying the exact same thing. Oh, well, all these crazy things that Reverend Wright says, well, he, he never said it in my presence. It was an amazing thing. Whenever I was there, he said lovely, loving things. And when, as soon as I was gone, well, all these horrible things were said. That'll be interesting to see. Now, <clears throat> putting that a little bit aside, the fact that he's even going to the mosque in the first place, not vetting the relationship of this mosque to these terrorist groups, very concerning, right? And it should be concerning. But no one seems to, uh, well, very few people seem to be addressing this point, certainly not on the left camp. And it should concern you as a lefty, if you are on the liberal side of this equation, write to me and tell me why this does not concern you. Now, I imagine some people, and I already see the emails now, they're saying, what's wrong with, with sharing a little love with uh, you know, one particular religion? Well, <clears throat> how about this? How about going to a synagogue? for one thing. How about going to a, a friggin' church? Indeed, how about going to your own friggin' church at one point? You know, he says that the reason why he doesn't go to a Sunday church is because he's afraid to, he doesn't want to create a distraction. As if he, Obama, is more of a distraction than any other pre president that preceded him, right? But that's his, that's his take. That's his pretext, at least, to not go to a church. It's because he doesn't want to create a distraction. Okay, well, going to a mosque, don't you think that's going to create a distraction also? Especially something that's politically charged, these, you know, with radical Islam? I mean, this is kind of obvious, right? At least going to a church, even your own church in Washington, D.C., you know, yeah, and maybe 
it, a distraction in the sense, okay, here's the president. There he is, right, you know, three, three rows down in the pews. That's, that's it, though, right? But going to a mosque, not only is his presence a distraction, but also what the imam is saying is going to be a huge distraction, and what will he say, and so on. I don't get this. Isn't it interesting that the uh, distraction excuse is coming from a president who signed up traffic in Los Angeles at rush hour maybe 15 oh, yeah. or 20 times over the last seven years? Yeah, that's a good point. He, he, he cares not whatsoever about uh, the distraction that he creates and uh, the traffic that he creates, like you're pointing out. And then one other <clears throat> quick point about mm-hmm. this, and, and this is so overlooked, is Considering the, the ties to radicalism that this mosque has, yeah. shouldn't it be a concern, not for us, but for Obama's most ardent supporters, that the President of the United States could potentially walk into a dangerous ambush in a room populated by people who hate America? Yeah. Anyone of whom might don't, say... Don't these liberals <coughs> care about the President's safety? Any one of whom can say Allah Akbar, right, and, and you know get the ultimate prize, which is the American President. Uh, you know, God forbid, of course, <clears throat> that that would be the last thing we would ever want for Obama, and for so many reasons, he's that, that's not what we want. But he's putting himself in danger. I wonder to what extent security is really going to take care of him. Of course, they will take care of him. I, I understand. But more to your point about the distraction, and <clears throat> I, I don't get this. The, and the whole point of why he's going there. Now, now I want to move to the next subject related to this. Which is, why is he going there in the first place? I mean, why now? Why not two years ago? Why not five years ago? Why? And he's going to be talking, as he always has, about the victimization of Muslims in America. That's, That's his thing. He does it apparently very well. I mean, he just watched his apology tour uh, throughout uh, the Middle East uh, when he began his presidency. But the same thing is is now happening. I mean, do you think that his speech is going to be anything other than and and what what it was? uh, And and I think he already gave his speech. He said, you have a right not to um, be assaulted by fiery rhetoric. I think that's the the word. Yeah, and he said, you have the right to see images of Muslims portrayed in movies and TV not related to national security. And the real laugher, though, is he assured everyone that Islam is part and parcel of America's founding from the very beginning. So, as it turns out, um, George Akbar Washington, Thomas Abu Jefferson... Uh, Benjamin Mufaz Franklin were the framers of the Constitution, and they drew entirely on the Koran for their vision for life, liberty, and in the pursuit well, of happiness. Well, <clears throat> you know what? But, but Obama is actually quite correct when he says that uh, Muslims uh, were definitely involved in the um, beginning of America's uh, foundation. Uh, clearly, I mean the Barbary pirates, <laughs> right? That's right. And uh, all the Northern African Muslims that were uh, kidnapping our sailors and uh, demanding ransom and such like that. Yeah, th- there definitely was um, a substantial contingent of Muslims that were involved in our American history. Oh, you mean actually participating in American civilization and helping it to grow? No, no, not so much. No, they were involved in trying to destroy it. The other, <clears throat> and this was the biggest laugher of them all, is he said, and Islam. And that's not. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not to say, my friends. That's not to say that no Muslim can provide great contributions to society. But the point is that there were just no Muslims there, just like there were not too many Jews back then. In fact, there were probably fewer Muslims than there were Jews in the founding of America. 
So, but there is Jewish image, imagery throughout uh, the founding. That's that's, that's a different story. The, that's yeah. a, but here's the biggest laugher of them all. He said that a bunch of the slaves who were brought to America were Muslims, and they brought their Islam with them. And after, hold on, let me finish this. <laughs> you think that's where to slap your forehead? I'm slapping my forehead. It, it gets worse. He says they brought their Islam with them and kept it after their emancipation. Only one little problem with that. More slaves from West Africa were taken to Muslim countries and sexually mutilated and put into slavery, then were brought into America. None of the people taken from West Africa as slaves were Muslims. They were all people of of different ideologies that we don't know what they were. (laughs) You know, tribal ideologies of West Africa in the, you know, 14 to, you know, Well, look, I mean, this is, again, going back to the actual visit to the mosque that we're talking about. Uh, I've I've read over the transcript. I haven't heard the actual speech, but it's clear that it's all about fostering hope for the Muslim community, to speak well of the Muslim community. Uh, There's not not a reference whatsoever to, hey, guys, you know, you moderate Muslims really got to, you know, you know, rail. What's the word? Corral uh, the, the crazy ones among you. And, clean and, up your own house. Yeah, clean up your house yeah. and do something about this. Reform yourselves because, by golly, I just love what Islam has to teach, and I know that it's all about peace. I mean, he could say that, right? He could just say, but there are some radicals among you that I know that you want to fight. And come join me in fighting these people who are bastardizing the name of Islam. Say something like that. But, of course, nothing of the sort is being said. Yeah, you'd think if he really cared, he would do everything he could to spark a reformation. Yeah. But he can't do that. He won't do that. And instead, what he says is everything that we see is just wonderful. And, and any time um, somebody says something in, in the name of Islam, uh, some horrific deed like that, well, then it's not Islam at all. You see, you see how self-referencing that is? You see how convenient that yes. is? Right? Any time that a, a group does a horrible thing, you just simply say, well, that's not what, what the, this group does. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit like saying uh, the, the Charles Manson group, right? I mean, we, we often make reference to Charles Manson. And they're a crazy group, and they do horrific things. And then when one of them is caught doing horrific things, you say, well, that's not what we, what we believe. That's not what Satan stands for. Yeah, no, Those not at all. Those are not real no, Satanists. No. Yeah, yeah. Those are not, oh, that's not a real moderate Satanist. Right, by definition, right? So, right? so no Muslim could possibly ever do something evil. And then when he does mention the evil they do, you know what he said? And he said this in speech, he said, the evil they do is a reaction for when we... Uh, dare to do anything more than denounce their evil. Right. In other words, the denouncement is what stimulates the terrorism. <clears throat> right. Well, but, but Benghazi is a fantastic example of that even though it was a lie about the video, the, the mantra was the same mantra that you're just talking about. Here it is. Um, somebody expresses himself. He's not committing any violence in the process. Yeah. But we all, but we all have ourselves to blame when these radical Muslims uh, do horrific things. Because we've insulted them, and really, what do we expect? We are wrong for doing this, and not only that, but we'll, we'll imprison the perpetrator of this video. And it, it was all very logical to them. You understand? I mean, this is this to them was like committing arson, right? You know, and you you would arrest the arsonist for, for lighting a match and setting a, a forest ablaze. Well, that's the same thing. 
you know, it, and wh what do you expect? You know, you, the videographer, the, the, the director of this video, well, you set this match aflame and, and uh, this fire that you started, uh, nobody's individually responsible for their actions. No, no, no. Yeah, and it, it so defies logic because if the Muslim who commits a horrific act truly is moderate, our definition from our ignorant Western understanding is that a moderate Muslim who is one who doesn't try to behead you for being offended. Right. <laughs> it, it seems a pretty low standard. <laughs> right. I, all right. But actually, that, that leads me to the next point that I, I do want to discuss, which is this notion of radical extremism. Okay, you've heard this phrase. It's a phrase that the Obama administration— It is violent extremism. Fine. That, violent, that's the, fine, 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 fine. Yeah. Fine. Violent extremism is a phrase that came right out of the tuchus— of uh, one Barack Obama, right, uh, from his administration. And they carefully thought about this. How do we phrase this just so? They didn't want to use the word uh, Islam or Islamists um, or radical Islamic, uh, whatever. Uh, those phrases were not allowed. So they came up with this, this very cute phrase, violent extremism, whatever that means, right? And, and the question is, what does that mean for even a liberal? I mean, why, why don't think that they, that we are the extremists, right? Why, why does it, who decides what's extremist, right? I, I mean, you and I know, in a sense, because we have an anchor called the Ten Commandments and Judeo-Christian principles and such. We, we understand that. And this thing with a needle called our moral compass. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. I, I, by the way, you very nice moral compass you brought in <laughs> yeah. today. You, know, you can't see it, folks, but Ari brought in a very nice moral compass. Ah. Oh. Uh, excellent. You know what? You, know, you can get that at the Apple Store these days. Right. It's very cool. The it's moral a, compass. That's right. The, the iMoral compass. <laughs> Anywho. What a great product. I think, say, I think we just, you know, that is what Stephen Jobs would have done had he lived. Right. That's all I'm saying. That was the next <laughs> iPod, <laughs> iPhone. Yeah, but you know why he needed iPad. one? He needed one because he wasn't born with one. <laughs> Pro. <laughs> <laughs> iPad Pro and the iMoral Compass. Right. They blundered with the iWatch, but that's what they should have done. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so look, so, so what is it? You know, why don't they think that, 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 they're the, that we're the extremists and such? Like, where, where, why, who gets to decide? Does the administration decide what is extreme? You see, you see my point is, why, why are they, I mean, in, in the mind of, of Obama, and for that matter, liberals who think like him, why are folks in ISIS, for example, why are they the extremists? Extremists to what? Compa relative to what? Right? I mean, I thought that we were the bad guys, as, as Obama pointed out so many times, that uh, before we get on our high horse, right, that we, we were guilty of the Crusades and the Inquisition and, and then the Hundred Years' War and all that stuff. And Bible and firearms clinging. Yes, exactly right. Guns and God clinging. Um, so why aren't we the extremists also? I mean, according to them. Well, well that's the beauty of that term. The, it means us. Yeah, it mean, it, of course. The countering violent extremism, that whole wedge of, of new strategy, is designed to attack the Tea Party people. Oh, it's you a know, Clive and Bundy and that guy Finnicum who was shot by federal agents. By the way, it's interesting. He had his hands up. He said, don't shoot. I'm wondering where the riots by white people are. <laughs> that's true. You see, you're allowed to say... You're allowed to insist that all lives, sorry, that you're not allowed to say all lives matter. You're only allowed to say black lives matter. However, when it comes to extremism, you are allowed and encouraged to say all extremism is bad, 
whatever that means, right? And you're not allowed to segment it like you, you're allowed to segment Black Lives Matter. You see, as long as you get the program, you see? You see the comparison here I'm making? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to extremism, radical ext- uh, Islamism is not, is but one of so many extremist things. And they're fighting a radical, you know, a violent extremism, as they said. And it's not a, you know, when they went to the, um, to, to the meeting, where, wherever that was, in Copenhagen or Paris, or to, to fight violent extremism, it's not as if they were all getting together and saying, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we know we're really talking about those crazy radical Muslims, right? No, it wasn't like that. They seriously went in there saying, boy, there's a whole bunch of violent extremism going around the world. Some, some in Norway and by those crazy Christians, and some in Israel by those crazy Jews. And, yeah, Tea Party, and those, UKIF, yeah. Gita. Oh, yeah, terrible things are going on. Yeah, the, even in the Philippines. The pro life people. In, in New Zealand with the Maoris, and uh, oh, there's yeah. stuff going on. Let me tell you something. And, and that's, they really thought that this is, that the people will drink this Kool Aid. And it, it's garbage, of course, because the, the only real extremism to, to deal with, the only realistic extremism that's go, going on is radical Muslim, uh, radical Islamic extremism. And that's the stuff that, that we need to be talking about, but it's too obvious. And this uh, administration, the last thing they want to do is uh, identify anything or point a finger toward Islamism. Look, um, it, it's been time and time again that this president has embraced Islam. Uh, again, whether or not he's a, a Muslim, doesn't mean a thing. It's what he does. His actions speak far louder than his words, than, or for that matter, what, what church he belongs to or what religion he belongs to. We don't care about that. We as Jews know that God judges, judges us for our actions, not for our thoughts, not for our titles. None of that matters, nor our money for that matter. What matters is what are our actions and what are we what are we advancing? What values are we advancing? Well, I'd say two and, and, and actions wait. and intentions. Well, okay, intentions to some extent, but intentions. Uh, bear with me on this. Intentions um, can can mean nothing if you don't actually act on it. You may really hate somebody. You may really want to kill that person because he's been so horrible to you and your family, but you don't take action to kill him. Uh, maybe you report him to the police because you believe that what he's done is criminally wrong. Fine, you, but use the right appropriate vehicles to do that. Your intention, your, your desires, your thoughts about you know seeing this man strangled at your own bare hands, you're entitled to that, to that thought. Yeah, that's why I said and, not or. I and understand. Actions resulting from intent. But in Judaism, that's very important. That's a very important distinction. Our, our thoughts are very different than our actions. There's a lot of freedom of thought in, in Judaism. It's some, one of the things I really love about Judaism. Um, whereas in, in some other religions, I, I you know, there's, you are judged for even thinking certain things. Yeah, evil thoughts. Evil thoughts, say. yeah. And, and, and I don't mean to judge those religions. I'm simply saying I like that about Judaism is you're very free in your own mind. But you are judged upon your actions. Now, going back to judging the actions, uh, Obama has consistently, and, and he's the president, so by every speech that he makes, he's actually engaging in a very serious action, right? I mean, he, his words flow. He's, he's an ambassador for the United States. He is the mouthpiece for the United States. So when he goes on an apology tour, he's basically saying the, the United States apologizes for all the bad arrogance it's ever engaged in. Uh, when he bends down low to the Saudi prince, uh, he's basically you know, saying that, that you know, he, he recognizes their superiority. 
uh, when he shows contempt for Israel, he's again sending the same signal. And, and when he tells the NASA head that his number, his number one mission, or among his number one missions, is to showcase the contributions of the Muslim community to science, uh, you know, all these things that go on, it, it's, it's a reflection uh, of what this president really is all about and what he wants to advance. Um, and, and then, of course, allowing a lot of Syrian migrants in and opening up the floodgates for um, money more. He's much more liberal when it comes to Muslim immigration than he is to European immigration or otherwise. Christian or Jewish. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, it's very uh, hostile uh, to anything that's not uh, Muslim immigration. Yeah. And to put this into a clear perspective for our listeners is um, a couple years ago, he made it much more difficult for Jews to visit America with the number of visas they require. The Syrian refugees come right on in. We have documentation. Oh, they'll be fine. Uh, right. you know, just uh, forget customs. But Jews who have a total affinity with America. Right. Oh, we have to double, triple, quadruple check them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, Remember uh, when he canceled the uh, the air flights into to Israel? Air yes, travel? during the Gaza Same war. Same kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to somehow uh, protect the safety of uh, of the individuals who were choosing to go into America uh, into Israel. Anyway, it's, it's everything about it um, is it, it shows it reflects a very clear affinity toward Islam, and worse than that, a promotion of Islam. Um, and, and I say worse than that not because I don't think that Islam is a valid religion. I, I'm simply saying he he shouldn't be promoting if he's the president of the United States he shouldn't be pr- promoting any religion right. If you're an atheist. Or, or anybody, for that matter, that believes in separation of church and state, well, then, by golly, what, what is he doing going into a friggin' mosque, yeah. right? And what, why is he promoting such wonderful things about Islam as the head of the United States? Yeah, and then at that mosque today, he goes on and on about the beauty of freedom of religion when his actions before the right. mosque visit, visit towards Christianity are completely the opposite. Right. What about the little sisters of the poor? What about the Obamacare mandates? Course, what about all this other stuff where Christians, uh, uh, the, the the bakers, the florists, the, the people being um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, uh, t- attacked yeah. uh, left and right by the judicial system because they dare, they, they choose not to participate yeah. in what they see as a heathen ceremony with their, their own blood and sweat and toil. Oh, they have no religious protection, according to Obama, based on his previous actions. Why suddenly do these Muslims at this radical mosque do? You know, when a, a person of, of stature and strength um, goes into the presidency, they often see it as a tool to, uh, to advance a certain uh, a belief that they have. So, for example, Ronald Reagan saw the presidency as a tool to whip the communists, right, to destroy them once and for all. Great, okay? Bill Clinton went to the presidency as a way to pick up chicks, right? To meet and pick up chicks. That was his goal, okay? And to, to be loved and to get power. But really, I think the, the chick thing was, is a big deal for, for Bill Clinton, or yeah. was. Uh, and Obama, and this is where I'm really getting at, I think the number one thing that he saw the presidency for was to advance the wonders of Islam and to protect the Muslim world. That's what he sees his job as. I know that sounds crazy, right? That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he wants to diminish America. I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. But I really think that he loves advocating Islam. And he, he would never even talk about... I mean, we, 
the proof is too clear, right? From all the things we talked about, he, he's not once said, we decry this in the name of, of radical Islam or anything else. You guys need to get your house in order, like we discussed just a little while ago. He hasn't ever said that. Instead, he only talks about ignoring the horrific stuff and just looking at what he perceives to be the beautiful stuff. It's, it, in a way, it's a little bit like you know, the, the alcoholic uh, husband and the wife who will never leave him, even though the husband is very abusive, and she just says, well, you know, she just refuses to, to remember the times that he was so abusive and only thinks of the times that, that he bought her flowers on the very rare occasions that, she, that he bought her flowers, that he remembered that nice, nice dance that they took. And once they had a, a nice little weekend jaunt to, uh, to Cabo, that's what she remembers. She chooses to remember that, and that's what this husband is all about, right? Same thing with Obama and, and Islam. He, he fails to recognize that, yes, while there are certainly good and peaceful, you know, moderate Muslims out there who only want to raise their kids right and all that good stuff, he fails to recognize that there is horrific stuff going on. And even though when it's blatantly in his face, even when they say Allah Akbar as they, they terrorize and kill so many people at Fort Hood, at Chattanooga, um, and San Bernardino, and many other places, even while they do that, and the proof is so clear, he will say... It's workplace violence. This has nothing to do with Islam, as if somehow he's the decider of what, ha- what, what this has to do with Islam or not. Yeah, for a non-Muslim, he seems to know an awful lot yes. about Islam. Oh, it's a good point. And, and, you know, I often think, like, most of these guys have been killed, like the San Bernardino guys were killed, right? So, like, if you were to interview their, their spirits, as it were, in, hopefully rotting in hell, and uh, you, you put the microphone to them and say, okay, well, so President Obama says that this has nothing to do with Islam. I think these guys would say, to hell, it didn't have anything to do it with Islam. It had everything to do with Islam. I told Islam. you it had to do with Islam when I did it. Yes. What do you think Allah Akbar meant? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Who the frig are you, Mr. President, to tell me what I, what, what I was thinking or what my purpose was? It has everything to do with Islam, right? And in fact... This very week, the grand, the former Grand Mufti of the Grand Mosque of Mecca himself went on Saudi te- television and said, ISIS's ideology is identical to the ideology I pre- preached from the pulpit of the Grand Mosque. It doesn't get to be a more Islamic authority than the Grand Mosque. Yeah. That's like the, the temple of, of Jerusalem, if it was there. It would be like preaching for the Vatican and then saying, oh, that's not Catholicism. It's like preaching from Constantinople and saying, oh, that's not part of the Greek Orthodox Church. Okay. So, 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 so they, the they, authority. So the, but, but don't you worry, Ari. I see you getting all agitated about this. But don't you worry. The liberals are directing their anger to the right place, the Tea Party, right? Those are, those are the real threats. Right. Talk about radical extremism. Clive okay. Bundy and his ranch. Radical Tea Partyism, that's what we should call it. Uh, anyway, listen, uh, we, what we see is the, the ultimate uh, revelation of what this president is all about, what he actually sees this presidency for, what his main mission is. In the beginning, you would see little things, you know, crop up. You know, he would make this comment about Islam, this this attack upon Israel, uh, this condemnation of Christian history, and you'd say, okay, well, these are isolated events. We now have so many data points that if you were to draw a picture of it, you would see very clearly what's really going on, and that he sees this presidency as a vehicle by which to prop up Islam. 
and his beautiful vision of Islam. And that is what he perceives his mission to be. And dare I say it, I think it's his number one mission. Okay? There are many other things he's doing in the process, including destroying the country through, through, through Obamacare and otherwise. But his number one mission, to advance Islam in the most positive light possible. Okay? Uh, it, God help us all. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll talk with you next week. Let's do it.